1: eight of the Walls Fancast series stories from the pack. Uh, This is really the series created um, to give fans um, an opportunity to really have a a walk down memory lane, talk about their first experiences with following the clubs, the highs and the lows and everything in between. Um, On this episode I'm delighted to be joined uh, by broadcaster Lindsay Hooper. Uh, Lindsay um, has many strings to her but also in particular co-founder of the award-winning Offside pod, which we'll talk about at the moment, Um, but of all titles, I would probably say Walls fan is probably the best way you want to be described here on this episode. So, Lindsay, thanks for joining us today.
0: Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on. It's an absolute pleasure. And yes, that's absolutely how I want to be introduced. And I don't often get to sort of brag about it and talk about it. I try to as much as I can on the offside rule, but like you know, no holes barred here. I can say what I like, can't I?
1: No, absolutely. And. and and this is it, really. I mean, just before we we go into um, the details around around the series, and touch you with a few sort of uh, questions uh, before recording. Um, how's things for yourself in in lockdown? Obviously, you're heavily involved in in the football world. Um, how is it for you at the moment?
0: Well, it was very quiet, a little bit tumbleweed, to be honest. I mean, of course, the main thing is families are fine, friends and and different people I know are all doing okay. My other half works in the NHS, and and that's been quite a strain as well. But I think overall, um, from a work perspective, it it's been quite tough because the 13th of March was my last day at work and then live sports ceased to exist from that point in, in particular football and the, the conversations of course still ongoing as to how that's going to be concluded. Um, but thankfully I have got a few other strings to my bow that I've been able to lean on. One of them is, um, is a sports radio show that's been commissioned with help from the audio content fund. Um, that's called the show must go on. And I've been doing that for the last five weeks, which has been a godsend in terms of just having some focus and something to do. And I'm just like you, I'm fascinated by people and to interview so many people that should have been lighting up our screens this summer, Olympians, Paralympians, Wimbledon players to come, lots of, lots of different people, um, and hearing what they've been going through is, has been really inspiring. So I've, I've enjoyed doing that.
1: Fantastic and I think this is it really in terms of it, we're at pause at the moment obviously with football as you're saying at the time we recorded and likely you know in terms of when it goes out we're just ready to know when it's safe to go ahead we'll, we'll do so and we're all obviously keen for it when we can but what it does do I guess is give, you, give us an opp- you know, opportunity here really to you know discuss a lot of things off the field really in terms of the, the fan experience which is what we're looking at now and I know also the offside pod, that's continuing as well at the, at the moment. So just tell me about, a little bit more about the offside rule pod and how that came about.
0: Well, it was in its infancy. It started out as something a little bit different, actually. Um, I started it at Sky Sports around eight years ago with my friend Kate Borsay. And the the very first few episodes um, was an interview with someone from the media. In fact, fellow Wolves fan Jackie Oatley had been on it. Um, I'd had a, an interview on it um, with different managers, one of the which being Laurie Sanchez, for instance. And then there was this middle section, which was a roundtable discussion with friends. And it happened to be that all my friends that I invited on were female. And um, a producer just pointed out to me, you know what, no one else is doing this. There aren't three women who know football talking about football. And so it it just seemed like something to run with. Um, And we made that the whole premise of the podcast, which I know that you've been kind enough to listen to a few episodes. And it's about 30 to 40 minutes long. We just talk football, but it's very unintimidating chat. Uh, The idea is that it's quite y it's a little bit more of the female slant and the way that we think rather than just maybe stats all the time which people pretend um, to to think that that's all that that the males do I, mean, I know that's not the case but you know if you listen to a lot of men's podcasts I suppose it can be a little bit daunting for some people so um, we hope to fill that that gap.
1: No absolutely I think as, as I say purely from a listener point of view what I love about the podcast as I'm getting into it is the fact that it's light, it's sincere, it's gentle, you can tell this, this, that, you know, that you're know that friends. And I think, as you say, in terms of what we try and do with the fan cast as well, I've never played the game, so I, I find it difficult to scrutinise tactics and formations, and I know there's places for it, but what I can talk about is my experiences and talk between friends, and and that's what we're doing really on this series, really, just to talk as as, as fans and not be so analytical about what's happening on the pitch, but Knowing that football is so much more than that, and 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 how it's uh, impacted on all of our lives. Um, so that's the the current. So if we we start obviously at where we always do at the beginning, uh, for mm-hmm. yourself, Lindsay. What's your first memories of of, of being a fan? On, on, uh, were you born into a Wolves household, or tell me a little bit about that?
0: I was born into half of a Wolves household. Um, this is horrible to admit. My dad is a West Bromwich Albion fan. Um, right, yeah. And all of my mum's side of the family are Wolves fans. My granddad used to be a scout at Wolves and he also um, had a, a real affection to the club. He he knew um, Graham Hughes very, very well. Um, and he introduced me to Wolves at a very early age. There was not going to be with my granddad, who also used to be a striker and he, he managed local teams as well in the West Midlands there was never going to be any other choice. He was sports mad. I was going to be a Wolves fan. Um, <laughs> my dad didn't try anything. He, he, my dad, he sort of tries to fall into that camp of likes to see Midlands teams doing well. Although <laughs> I do remind him that you can't really support both.
1: <laughs> it, it's, it's funny, isn't it? The dynamic. I mean, it, it's for myself as well. My, my wife's um, an Albion, um, born into an Albion family. She's, she's not really a fan. I think she's again, I think just probably for the easy life, she watches, loves it when walls are doing well, because she can see sort of how things are in the house when they're not. So she's doing <laughs> that sort of journey with, with me. And I think that's, that's part of it. But it's, yeah, it's, you know, there, there are a lot of those family dynamics where you could go one way or the other. So do you remember the what was the first game? So did your dad not take you to the game with his allegiances or? What was no,
0: because my my dad my dad really likes football, but he mm. isn't a he isn't a huge supporter or follower. He didn't have a season ticket. He wasn't obsessed with it like my uncle and my granddad were. Yeah. Um. And so my earliest memory, rather than the first game I went to, I was about eight years old, and my mum and dad used to go and the, do the weekly shop at the Sainsbury's in Wolverhampton. And they used to drop me off to avoid taking, you know, a screaming child around the supermarkets. They used to drop me up at my nan and granddad's. And I was always told, you know, no talking when you're at granddad's. He's listening to the sport's. And so one of my earliest memories, I used to fill in his coupon for him with all the football scores. And I remember, um, actually, it was a black country derby with West Brom on the radio at my granddad's house. It was the old second division. And I remember Wolves, Andy Mutch, who was one of my favourite players that I used to like hearing. He scored an equaliser, made it 2-2. And um, we're Going back, probably, you know, giving away my age. So it's about 1990. Um, and I remember being really gripped and sitting near my granddad and listening intently and and just thinking this is for me. I just love it. Um, and so it used to be quite a ritual that I used to go there on a Saturday, fill it out, listen to the the commentary that was on the radio that week. Um, and then eventually I got to go to a match with my uncle and my cousin when I was about 12.
1: Brilliant. And do you remember who we played on that first game at all?
0: Yes, it was a pre-season friendly and it was Manchester United. Um, Um, I had a ticket in the Jack Harris stand. I think it was the first sellout ahead of that season. I mean, uh, literally everyone, it felt to a 12-year-old who was going for the first time as well. Um, Like everybody was there. It was really rammed. And I had a stomach bug that day um so I wasn't feeling very well I got to know the the concourse and the toilets pretty well with my uncle having to dive out I don't think I was his favorite person because um, I think every 15-20 minutes I had to go out but I loved it um and I was so ecstatic because Steve Ball scored but it, it wasn't the goal of the game because Carl Robinson scored an absolute belter um, but Steve Bull did score and he's my favorite player at the time and scored a header. Um, and I know, I, I know it wasn't actually, it was a lob. He lobbed Schmeichel. It was the header for against Bradford that I saw, but, um, yeah, he lobbed Schmeichel and I loved it. It was just brilliant. Everyone around us, the way that everyone was so friendly talking to each other, and when my uncle was saying, "Oh, you know, it's the first game," and we were getting a, a, a lot of people just trying to convert us there and then. But I didn't need much convincing, to be honest.
1: Brilliant. I, th- I think I remember that game because, as you say, that would have probably been early '90s, as, as you say. And I think it was a time where um, may- maybe it was Graham Taylor era, maybe, or just maybe just prior to that, where we'd probably bu- had a bit of an investment. And it, it's it's crazy now that. I guess Man United at that time was probably more of a novelty for a generation, whereas now we played them in the present Mm. so often. But at that time, I think, as you say, the stadium had been recently developed and there was a a big buzz, so a brilliant game. So what were your first impressions of of Molyneux in terms of the stature and, as you you say, very welcoming? Did you get that that buzz straight away? It's like, oh, this is what I've been hearing on the radio and this is, wow, this is something else.
0: Yeah, and we had a big walk around the stadium. See, I'd never been there in the build-up to kickoff, So I'd, I'd been around the stadium. I'd been there many times to go and have a look around. Um, but I'd never been there when all fans w- were outside on different concourses. Um, and that experience just made it completely different. And I think for a 12-year-old, walking under the, the huge underpass that everyone knows, for away fans, which is so daunting, I remember coming through there and thinking, wow, it's like at the end of the rainbow, there's the pot of gold um and of course it was gold as well I I was so elated to be going to my first football match and to be honest with you I was a little annoyed that it had taken that long because I'd been talking about it for for some Christmases but um yeah it, it was it was one of those experiences as well to do it with my cousin um we played football together in the park he was a goalkeeper and I used to play outfield um so we loved talking about it together as well um and he loved Neil emblem
1: <laughs> he was,
0: Good he, I, yeah he was really obsessed with him. so I remember that that really well um and yeah I think the general the general atmosphere was such a buzz for a preseason friendly um that I went away wanting to go back as soon as possible
1: brilliant and I think just just picking up on that and I know we're incredibly biased, but we, we can because this is kind of what the podcast is about and and ultimately the wars fans listening but when you talk about you know the the subway and the ground, there there is something about mind you and you've probably been to far more grounds than probably I I've been to with, with your career as well, but there's something about the fact that it's situated, that it's in the city centre that You walk from town, you you come under that underpass, and then it all just opens up in front of you. It's not one of these Makano stadiums, it's it's there and it's in the heart of the city. It just creates that feeling on match day, and that must be something that you must still get that buzz when you go to the ground as, as a fan or,
0: or for, yeah uh... see I, I park often where the, the tv compound is nowadays which is just opposite where the mega store is but i do that walk round the side past the billy wright statue on the left hand side and i i can't get enough of that walk mm. um purely because of the way that fans gather there that statue is a of a magnet and rightly so but also that's where all the coaches pull in and all the players sign different autographs there's such a hub of activity and really that that sets you up for for this is the beginning of a, a great afternoon and nowadays it usually is a great
1: one I know and this is it and it's 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 still weird it's kind of being a wars fun now I don't know how you feel there are moments where I'm like is this really really happening and I'm like no stop you know this is the no yes it is that they are absolutely built for being this successful but I don't Mm. know if and we'll probably go into it in a moment when we talk talk about your history as as following the club but when we know there's been other periods in the time it just makes it so worthwhile and it's like yeah we deserve this you know and also I think it's a it's a message for all supporters who are going through tough times that you know it's cliche the oath of darkness come of light but we've seen that so much with walls so no, it's really brilliant times at the moment. And in, in the early days for you, Lindsay, who were the, the standout players? You mentioned Bully and much. Were those two, were there any others? Um, yeah, you- there,
0: there were quite a few. actually. I mean, they, those were two that stood out. And I have to say, I was as big a fan of, of Andy much as I was Steve Bull at the time. Um, I thought he was incredible. Um, I suppose looking back over the years, Alex Ray. I I you know what I liked a lot of the hard players. <laughs> yeah. I liked the the tough tacklers, I liked Alex Ray, I liked Kevin Muscat. Um, I really liked Stephen Ward as well for the fact of how versatile he was as a player and how long he stayed with us. Um Robbie Keane, in terms of a younger player coming through that I'd watched very early and thought, you know, he will go all the way. Um, And in terms of players that we bought in, we'd gone through quite a torrid time. We'd spent quite a lot of money as well, actually, I think the season before. And then if you remember on free transfers, we bought in Paul Ince and Dennis Irwin and I love both of them equally. Um, so it, it was fantastic to see those calibre of players coming to Wolves, coming to Molyneux. Um, another fullback I really liked, Andy Thompson, and I see him quite a lot at Molyneux. He's a big Wolves fan. And I always look at him and think, I remember watching you in midfield running around and as a fullback. So I think it's just it's just all of those players that sort of ingrain on your memory. Um, I don't want to sound like I'm too focused on strikers but because I think that's the way that most people are but Stephen Fletcher Mm. um, was another striker that I really liked to watch Um, and in goal Matt Murray probably because of the penalty save in the playoffs and I think he was a brilliant goalkeeper but we've had some lovely goalkeepers over the
1: years. No, oh, we've been lucky. We absolutely have, yeah. I mean, I think people do gravitate to strikers, don't they, ultimately? Mm, you know, I try not and... <laughs> to
0: do that myself, but you, you do end up doing it because you remember goals, don't you?
1: Yeah, you do. But yeah, I mean, some of those players, they're just real fantastic players that I'm sure many listeners can resonate. And, you know, it's quite interesting, sort of, you started with the Man United connection and then, as you say, not too long ago, into and that was a real moment for us. So, no, fantastic. Um, I mean, in terms of... um we always look because of the roller coaster of walls and we're a perfect example of that is sort of the highs and the lows so we'll perhaps end this part on the positive so if we start with perhaps the lowest moments or was there a point when you were supporting walls when you thought either why am i doing this or or did you think god i can't see us getting out of this mire that we're in was there a particular time that springs to mind where yeah you thought god this this is this isn't great
0: Yeah, I mean, the the ones that stand out the most, um, 2006-2007, that season when we were in the championship alongside West Brom and they beat us four times, twice in the playoffs. And I just thought, oh, no, we're never going to live this down. And because so many of my extended friends and family and people that I went to school with supported them, it was just one of those where you just thought noisy neighbors are just never going to hear the end of it. So I remember being really damn beat on that occasion. But, you know, we'd gone toe to toe with them throughout that season. And they they were the ones that had been relegated from the Premier League. So. I suppose there were still positives to try and take from that. Um, lowest moments crosses over with my broadcasting career, and it's got to be the double drop to League One. Um, the 2-0 defeat to Brighton sent us down, but I remember the the game before that against Burnley. That was it. That was, we were going. Yeah. Um, And that home defeat, I I just felt a bit sick to the stomach, but it had been coming because I'd actually reported on the forest game. Now this was going back to about March. I think Uh, Dean Saunders in charge, we lost three, one I quizzed him after the game and a little bit of the fan came out. The only occasion when I've done (laughs) that with a, with a manager, but I just was asking him where a goal is going to come from. And I think he picked up on the fact that I was a Wolves fan and I felt that the the club was in free fall and it could just keep going. I don't know about you, but I just thought the bottom could drop out here. There is just nothing coming in, no way of trying to steady this ship. Um, so when when we were relegated, it was really no surprise. I just felt so low. And I just felt for all, all of us that are in it together, that had been going for so many years, seeing all that progress that had happened under Mick McCarthy and then in the matter of no time, it was it was all un, unstitched, really. Um, Stalis Olbachen and Dean Saunders, and no offence, and I tell them to their faces, but two of the worst appointments we've ever had.
1: It was it was it was bizarre, really. As you say, you know, we the the Premier League. Don't get me wrong, you know, we we were kind of we had our heads slightly above water, didn't we, in the last couple of years in the, in the in the Premier League? And perhaps there were sides who were. Uh, recruiting a little bit better than than we did, but yeah, I mean, to go from where we were, as you say, in those those couple of years, it does in- interest me. As you say, with, with the job that you do, that is it so, is it difficult to separate that? I've got to ask you. Obviously, I've seen mm-hmm. on the TV when you're at at a game, but I guess you just go into professional mode but you, you can't take that Wolves coat off can you ultimately I guess
0: uh... no and and I've been quite honest about saying I don't really like when I'm doing final score where you're doing re- match updates throughout the game mm. doing Wolves matches for those and that Purely is for the reason that I watch Wolves differently to when I watch a neutral match. Mm. And I hold my hands up with that. There are many, many colleagues of mine and professionals, like Jackie Oatley, for instance, who do it admirably. (laughs) Maybe they're just better than me. But I really struggle to do that because I watch off-the-ball activity a lot more when I'm watching Wolves. I'm watching what other players are doing, the movement, the triangles, are we in the right spaces? And it really occupies my mind. So, yes, I have to really ditch that if I end up reporting on them for the BBC which I have done on a a few occasions but I've only ever done three or four matches and the one match when I went and did that post-match interview for the football league show with Dean Saunders I probably let myself down a little because I was quite hard on my questioning now I in comparison to probably how I would have been if I wasn't a fan now, I, I'm i always at Wolves now. So I, I do most home matches for the Premier League World Feed and that's doing the interviews for around the world. So as soon as the, the full-time whistle goes, we get players down the tunnel and I will start interviewing them. And I find that fine because the, the activity, the match has finished Um, I've got that moment to compose my thoughts and then I'm absolutely fine so I love doing that I love doing the European nights which I've been hosting at Molyneux um and and again when I'm doing it for Wolves I then have to get into the habit of saying we an hour more because I've been so programmed not to do that um that suddenly you know Charlie and Russell are saying you know you can say hours that's fine and I'm like yes of course I'm just gonna remind myself um but yeah I think I think it is a difficult thing to be able to do. I mean, I would like to think that I, that I can still be professional and do it, but th- there's definitely an element of not watching it in the same way, I would say.
1: Brilliant, brilliant. I mean, in, t- in terms of um, going on, on a positive note, obviously we know things are great now. What's, uh, it can be a single or it can be a number um, of moments. Where would you pinpoint, as a fan, the best sort of experience you've had today following War?
0: Oh, um, well, following wolves, uh, you say best experiences, and I immediately want to be there. And and that's mm-hmm. been in the last few seasons. So I'll come on to that. But first of all, my, my best experience, following from afar, when I was at university, and I was doing my dissertation, and in my final year, that was 2003. And it was the first time that we've been promoted back to the top flight in my lifetime. So, you know, it was under Dave Jones. It hadn't happened before. And I was meant to be writing this very detailed essay of about 10,000 words. And I remember sat glued to the screen watching the playoff final, us beating Sheffield United 3-0 and also being so comprehensive in the way that we we won that match. It was also at the Millennium Stadium, if you remember, because I, I always thought that we were cursed at Wembley, like the amount of playoffs, but we won this one. Um, and it's still the only success. I think that was what made it even more special was the fact it came in the playoffs. Uh, we we won that way and we got that day of celebration. And that was it. I was out on the town that night. <laughs> I didn't do my dissertation that evening. I did get it in, but um, it probably could have scored higher. Who knows?
1: I, I think as well, um, and as you say, we can touch on sort of the, the present, but just touching on that there. You know, you referenced earlier the you know the, the season with the Albion when they they surpassed us, and and also you know the, the heartache in the playoffs, and I think that's what made it so good, didn't it? Really, that that playoff win winner card. Time of recording, um, seventeen years ago today, it was the, the the playoff final, and it's absolutely crazy in terms of just within that sort of cycle how how the has gone up and gone down, and and, and has, has obviously got to a good level now, but. Yeah, I think that, that was such a defining moment because it was it was the first time. We know we went down there after, but it was the you know, the famous banner with how many days and minutes to mm. the point we're in the top league and, and as you say, for a generation as well and a, a, you know, a few generations, the Premier League was something we watched on T V. So it was such a
0: Yeah, and, and that promotion was the one I got to enjoy with my grandad. You see, Mm -hmm. my my granddad died when I was around 25, 26, but that was the one we got to enjoy together. And I also was so happy for Sir Jack in the fact that he got that too. And you look at the days now and oh, wow, are they amazing. But I don't know, there's something about those old days as well and that first promotion. I I think it will be hard to top. Um, And then in, in terms of other memories, I used to volunteer at Radio Wolves. When it was based in New Stadium. So you had um, the regular match commentators were Bill Hatton and Pete Moody. Um, oh, and yeah. I used, do you remember them? Ooh. And I used to go out and I used to give them half time results for all of the matches elsewhere in the West Midlands to read out. And I used to top and tail a bit of the highlights from the match commentary. And this is when I was about 14, 15. Um, and I was there and I watched Steve Bull score his 300th goal against Bradford. That was the header. And yeah. And that was Carl Robinson scoring. I always get these all confused, but that was Carl Robinson, wasn't it? Where he scored the volley as well, I think, in that one. And I honestly was so elated to see that and be there. I still to this day really laugh when I think of the white t shirt he revealed underneath and it had like Biro or Pen. You know, you'd think <laughs> yeah. after all of that service, they'd Is it get him 300 knockdowns
1: or something, Sorry, Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> Um, but, oh, wow, the crowd. Molyneux went absolutely wild because we wanted that for him. We wanted him to mm. reach 300. You know, he toyed with going to Coventry at one point. And I think every single Wolves fan when they were in the Premier League were just like, go and experience it, go and do it because you've been so great. But he was like, no. So when when that moment came, um, oh, I remember just losing my concentration. I think I was meant to be note- noting something down and time code or something and oh, yeah I'd forgot
1: <laughs> it, it's great though Lindsay because I think what you know picking up there I think in terms of you know my experience as a fan I find it really interesting at what point you, you know to, to date and I think we'll have many more years supporting the Wars that you're that emotionally invested you know uh, I mean through different circumstances I've not always held a season ticket so, and I've kind of gone away from the game always been a fan but not been so involved or there's been a time where I've had the disposable income that I've gone home in away. And I think that there's points. And I remember that game and I was in the North North. I'm sure it was the North Bank. He got the three hundredth goal, actually. Um, it was, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and so I do remember it because I had a season ticket there. And I think, just so iconic, wasn't he bully? Mm-hmm. You know, you, uh, I know Wolves well, fans don't need us to kind of chronology, but we'll always talk bully because I mean, God, just at that time at that era, he kind of he just captivated everyone. He—it he was the whole—we did this series, you know, about being from the pack, and it might sound a bit twee and cheesy, but I don't care because actually, it's really relevant because I think Bully felt he, he was kind of the lead of the pack, and I know mm-hmm. again that sounds cheesy, but it's so so true because he just seemed to represent it, and we, as you say, we felt his pain when things didn't work for him as well.
0: And part of that tale for me as well was joining Radio Wolves uh, in this sort of voluntary role, trying to get some experience and starting out on my media career, really. um, I was so excited at getting to do that because I'd get to watch him. But then he was injured, if you remember. So just before that, he'd been out for three, three and a half months, and mm-hmm. I hadn't actually seen him. And he was on 299 and everyone was just waiting. <laughs> so I think it was that explosion and overload because because of that build-up too.
1: Brilliant, and and in terms of the the, the current day, it, is this the best side you've seen in in your lifetime?
0: Oh, easily, without yeah. a shadow of a doubt. And I thought that the first, the first season this time back in the Premier League, I thought that was going to be the best. I was there when Neves scored on the opening day against Everton that free kick, and it just started as it meant to go on and. And I remember thinking it isn't going to get better than this. But I think that this season that's just been interrupted, we were at an even better level. And I, and that surprised me. It really did. I thought if we could maintain it, fantastic. But I expected maybe to slip, you know, when all of your friends are talking and saying, where, where do you think Wolves will finish? Mm. And um, last season, I, I did say in the, I thought that they might be in the top eight. And then this time I lowered it to top ten. And <laughs> actually, we were even better.
1: I know it's brilliant isn't it? it it really is and I think you know football comes in cycles as we talked about with the ups and downs but you just have to live in and revel the moment really and it gives us an opportunity you now to do that because this is just incredible what we're seeing right now um in terms of um you know the, the title of this is is, is storage from the pack and you're very much part of the pack and for yourself what does being part of the pack mean to you um, I know, obviously, as a broadcaster, you'll see Wolves in a slightly different light, but ultimately, you're part of the pack. What does being part of the pack mean to yourself, Lindsay?
0: It means everything. I, you know, I get goosebumps when I'm at Molyneux. And also, if, you, if you're if you walking through the interior of the stadium, there's so many quotes on the walls about being part of that pack. And when everyone sings Si Senor, for instance, you just get wrapped up in it. And it doesn't matter whether I'm there with my professional hat on or if I'm there as a Wolves fan, I can't help but just feel that and get so moved um and just around you I I love the friendliness anyway of black country people it's something that I don't think can be replicated anywhere and I may have moved out of the area because of my job but it is something I miss so much so going back to Wolves reconnects me with home it reconnects Mm -hmm. me with my granddad and those memories and it makes me feel so great inside um And no one can ever take those away from you. And all of us that are there experiencing different experiences, but at the same time, and that unites us. Um, And when I've been in London and I've seen so many people with different wolf shirts on, or I've been traveling to other games and I always stop and I always chat. And a lot of the time... Lots of Wolves fans, um, I don't know whether you found this, they chose Wolves as a club, certainly down south, when they were younger because they like the shirt or yeah. they like the badge. Yeah. And then they'll be so overwhelmed when I'll say, I, no, I'm born from, I'm in Wolverhampton. I, <laughs> I, went, I went to school in the West Midlands. You know, they they really love to connect with real Wolverhampton fans. Um and I'm not saying that they're not. I just think that they like the, the black country roots as well and talking to us about it and talking about the stadium, like you say, being in the centre of the city and growing up there and growing up, you know, seeing footballers on nights out once upon a time when we were, when we were nightclubbing, you know, Robbie Keane would be there with <laughs> different people. And you just go back over the years um, and there's some some great, great memories. No,
1: it's brilliant. And I, and I think this is it really. As, as I mentioned earlier in the pod, you know, we shouldn't apologise for, for being biased, but there is something about this club and it's something about, as you say, how it bonds people together. And you're right, we, I, I speak to many people who, I think, you know, there's generations who perhaps have family who watched the team in the 50s and, you know, the iconic gold shirts and the footlight games and so forth. And as you say, London is a huge, actually, base for Wolves fans as well. Every time I go to the and away games, it's a very well-run London supporters club. And I think mm. a lot of that came from from that that era in the 70s and so forth. Um, but it does just connect and it's just great, talking walls. And it's kind of, it's one of those, football's like this generally anyway. I remember sort of going travelling and, and, you know, sitting in a bar in Melbourne and I was on my own and there was there was a guy in there and he'd got one of the full nine shirts. It was one of those, he had like his own merchandise range. You probably remember Bully he had like the nine and the 306 and he had one mm. of those T-shirts and it was like, Oh God, you know, one of us, and that's you know, you get that, and it, it, we're such a broad spectrum, but it's it, it, it's it's lovely to hear, and I guess you must be really sort of proud that you know more than ever. You must get quizzed, certainly on a work level, about Wolverhampton, perhaps and, and, and the team, with with how we're doing there. Oh, all the
0: time now. I, I mean, no one would listen to me at one point and now they don't want to stop talking <laughs> about it. And I do think that there's something about Wolves that makes them everyone's sort of second team at the moment. Um, it used to be the case with Leicester when they had that fantastic season and won, won the league. But there is a real affinity towards Wolves. And I think it's because of the sorts of football that we're playing. It's attractive on the eye. It's the sort of football that we all dream of being at our own club. We're pinching ourselves. It's at ours. But if you're not one of the top big six you know to see a team playing the way that we're we're playing and bringing through some of the players that we are um I think it's exciting for for any football fan to see a club taking that on um and also with with very much a long-term view I I really see this project as being a long-term one and people said oh you might have your season in the in the Europa League well done no 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 we're, we're going to be in Europe and we'll be in and out of Europe for a few years I think
1: and I think this is the thing and, and I think most people kind of on the mainstream level are, are kind of buying into it but we do a few things with uh, the fan cast and we speak to like national radio and so forth and I used to get asked I say used to oh god it's coming back it's coming back <laughs> <laughs> but we, I, I get asked oh what about if a big club comes in for Nuno or what I'm like hang on we are a big club and I'm not and I have to be objective about it and go, OK, yeah, we're not Real Madrid. We're not. But the honest answer to that is we'll become a big club. And I think it's a little bit naive, those outside of it, who just kind of see walls and the last, you know, they're, 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 they don't see, as you said, the project and, the, and perhaps what we're privy to in terms of the work going on behind the scenes. So I think mm. you're right. I think, you know...
0: I don't think that situation right now would, would happen, which happened with Mick mm-hmm. McCarthy, which was another low point by the way, when when he got sacked, um, purely for the for the reasons that not only had he had a great five and a half years at the club, but there was no plan in place. And there were rumors for people like Rafael Benitez, I think Alan Kirbishley was on the list. I remember there was they got very, very desperate and tried to get Walter Smith to come down at, at one yeah. point. Um and we ended up with Dallas Solbacken. That wouldn't happen now. And you're right, you know, when when Rafa Benitez was on that list and everyone laughed before, they wouldn't laugh at it now.
1: No, it just it just shows where we are. So, no, we're all so excited, as as we mentioned earlier, for when football can commence. It, it was a strange feeling, really, when sort of lockdown started because I thought, if any team needs a break, it's us. But then also when I was chatting to someone the other day they said, no, we're being robbed of someone like Jean Bertinio and those moments in his career. Yes. So... You know, we know football is only part of, of, of life and we know, and we, you know, we'll, we'll bow down to the authorities when they give us the go-ahead. So when it's safe to do so, we'll be happy and we'll hopefully we'll have more memories to come as well. Um, just in closing, um, thank you everybody for the, the support of the podcast. What we're trying to do really is, while we're in this period, is give people as many as much content as possible. So we've got the alternative um, Hall of Fame running at the moment. Uh, the latest episode with Michael Kite leads out as well. We've got the film cast and we're continuing with this series of stories from the pack. Um, so, Lindsay, thank you.
0: Oh, thank you so much. Um, it's been a pleasure to come on. And I just hope that we continue to enjoy these lovely heights we've been experiencing. Um, let there be more. Let there be more European nights at Molyneux as well.
1: Brilliant. Well, until, until next time, um, stay safe and stay well.
0: Thank you, Ryan. Bye. Thank
1: you.